Welcome back, everyone, to Life and Lit. We've had a couple of weeks off from recording um, because we had to get married, but we want to send out a quick congratulations to Sydney. She got married this past Saturday, and I flew home, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Um, but now we're back. We're back in our normal life. Sydney's married. We're back on track. So... <laughs> This week, we are going to finish out, it's not really a trilogy, um, but it's the trilogy, it's the story that focuses on these main characters, but this week, we are going to discuss A Court of Wings and Ruin by Sarah J. Moss, and I'm so excited to discuss the ending of this portion of the story, but before we get into it, I'm Paige, and I'm Sydney, and this is Life and Lit. So, it's not a trilogy. I feel like it reads like a trilogy, but the story does move on. The side characters then come to the front and become the main characters and our main Feyre, Reese, they kind of, they play a prominent part, but they fade to the background. So this is the end of the story and the big war that had started at the end of Mist and Fury, A Court of Mist and Fury. So I'm so excited. I was reading this on the plane on the way back from your wedding, which again, congratulations. Thank you. Our own Mrs. Meager. It's still oh, so weird for me to see your name changed everywhere. Is super weird. And it's weird for me to like type. Like I've been sending stuff and then I'm having to like yeah. a new address, which is weird. Wow. Just all of it. <laughs> Seems I can't surreal, imagine. Super exciting. So yes. Yeah. It was a so gorgeous glad. wedding. I was honored Thank to be you. there. It was Um, the most perfect day. Like, we really had the best weather. Just everything came together perfectly. And I'm so glad that you got to come home and be there. Especially with it being, like, pretty last minute in terms of weddings going (laughs) (laughs) in today's culture. Yeah, you told me. And I hopped on Southwest. I was like, all right, we got to get this going. (laughs) Yeah. Secure my spot. Yes. Except that we did not take... A single photo together, at least. A I phone know, photo. I, like I know on the phone. Yeah, she needs so to I release know. them because I was literally driving away from the reception, and I was like, "Oh my god, I need to go back." I didn't get a yeah. reception photo with you, um, but you were busy. You were greeting all your it's, family. It was hard. I yeah I took. I have like three photos on my phone. Luckily, other people have been sending me some, but I'm just so excited for the photographer to yes. release all of them. She's done some sneak peeks, which is exciting. Yes, but I'm like, they look gorgeous. Thank you, but I like have no chill, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> right okay, like, now, oh now, <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, I'll be sure to post that whenever it finally happens because I'm sure it's gonna be great. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I took the opportunity of being home and traveling to reread 
A Court of Wings and Ruin because it had been well over a year since I'd read it. And I knew like the overall plot, but the small details were definitely, I would read some parts and be like, oh yeah, like this happened. Um, so I'm glad. Thank you for giving me the time. <laughs> to <do> yes. <laughs> and it was actually really funny because I was finishing it on the flight back yesterday and I was in the middle seat on the plane um, because it's a the full worst flight. spot the worst yeah spot but at, me. the worst spot but at least I like got to choose which middle seat I was in because I was like in the southwest b group so I like scoped out two nice looking people you know yeah and sure. I picked the middle and there's like this one guy he was probably in his 60s maybe 70s uh he just looks like a grandpa like your friendly grandpa and he was so cute he would like be eating popcorn popcorn or like he'd Aww. get he'd bring out his little thing of mints and be like you want a mint like every he would just offer to share with me he was so sweet but I was finishing this book on the flight and I could see him like glancing over at me out of the corner of my eye and finally he goes oh that's a long book you know how long that must be like a thousand pages and I was like oh no you know it is it clocks in at like set read at 700 pages but he was asking me about it. And he's like, oh, uh, what is it? Like, what type of book is it? I was like, oh, it's fantasy. You know, like trying to describe it to him. But like, not really describe it to him. Because I'm like, dude, I do not want to describe the smutty romance book <laughs> that I am reading to you. <laughs> and have you like go pick up a copy and be like, oh, my God, that innocent girl on the plane. Maybe not so she innocent. looks so sweet and nice. And then this right. is what she's reading. And he was asking me, like, what type of world, how the characters are developed. Like, he was into it, but, oh, my gosh. I was just, like, and then, like, when I, he was, like, all right, I'll let you finish it. I was trying to, like, hide the pages in case any, like, funny scenes came up. I didn't want him to, like, glance over and, like, read a couple sentences and be, like, oh, bye. Like, what is she reading? That is so, so funny. Yeah, and then the woman next to me, she was reading, like, a book about how to be a more godly woman and she was like taking notes and highlighting and I was just like oh my gosh and you're like I am very deep in some fairy romance please right <laughs> do not look over here don't look yeah. at me yeah that is so funny so but I finished it I'm all caught up and I'm excited to talk about it me too I read this book it hasn't been that long ago, I guess, but it feels like it has. Like, I just started this series. I read the first one at, in January. So it hasn't yeah, been I, that long. Yeah, but it's been longer than I thought. I feel like you just finished I know. it. Yeah, no, it's definitely been like a month or maybe two since I finished it. And so, yeah, I'm excited to dive back in because I really liked this one. Yes. Um, I will say... Mist and Fury, the second one, is my favorite, I think, still. Yeah, I agree. Um, of the first three, now there's five, um, or I guess you said four in a novella, because the fourth the fourth one in the series is much shorter, and it's kind of like a bridge between the storylines. Um, but this one comes in at a solid second for me. Oh, for sure. I really like the way the story was wrapped up, and like how it went. It's definitely more about the world and the character's journeys than the romance. It's yes. been decided, you know, like that little plot line has been decided. Yes. It's so, so exciting though. 
oh yeah still exciting but like way less <laughs> smut in this one and I like forgot that I guess because like I was so invested in the story the first time around and this time I was like mm-hmm. I think there's only like one or two scenes and, was, and then the rest were like the fade to black and I was like dude that's how I Sarah. felt in the second book when someone yeah. I know rated it as like one of the top smuttiest books they read all year and it was like not until page 400 something that anything well that's happened. how this one like, is what are we doing but then nothing happens after you yeah. know it's just like you get like one like reunion scene and then it's like poof <laughs> and I'm like yeah. all right I guess I guess I'm in it for the story now <laughs> listen Sarah give the people what they want and not a smut okay that's what we're let me want. tell you she gives you that in the Nesta book let me tell you <laughs> okay well now you've reinvigorated I took a little break from this series and this is the last one I've read I haven't moved on yeah so maybe now I'm invested when you read the Nesta centered book which is like Silver Flames, I think, A Court of Silver Flames. Yes. She, you get the smut. She delivers, okay? That's the smuttiest of the series, I'd say. Also, yeah, I, I, I hope my parents are not listening to this episode. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just, we're all yeah. adults here. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so that's our overall review. We loved this book. You know, it's part of the series that we love, that we got excited to read. Sydney got into fantasy. So we're going to do the quick summary to fill in everybody. If you haven't read it, if you're just our retelling, which is probably very amusing, um, we're going to do a quick summary and then dive into it. So this is A Court of Wings and Ruin by Sarah J. Moss. Feyre returned to the spring court, determined to gather information on Tamlin's actions and learn what she can about the invading king threatening to bring her land to its knees. But to do so, she must play a deadly game of deceit. One slip could bring doom, not only for Feyre, but for everything, and everyone she holds dear. Tears down upon them all, Feyre endeavors to take her place as one of the high fae of the land, balancing her struggle to master her powers, both magical and political, and her love for her court and family. Amidst these struggles, Feyre and Ryson must decide whom to trust among the cunning and lethal high lords, and hunt for allies in unexpected places. In this, in this thrilling third book in the Court of Thorns and Roses series, the fate of Feyre's world is at stake as armies grapple for power over the one thing that could destroy it. That's a solid yeah. summary. It is, because it's definitely, you see the power struggle of her like trying to be because like if in like our last recap court of mist and fury we discussed she becomes high lady of the night court which she's the first high lady in history so she's balancing that like political power that she now has and over all their allies and enemies and her love for them because she doesn't want to like ostracize them but she's also like i now have that power over you which was like very interesting to see um, of course, there's the power struggle between all the courts and between, um, like the High Fae and Highburn, um, which is like you know the enemy armies. I don't know. It was definitely more of a political book, and I appreciated that. I think that made it so interesting, though. Like that was one of my yes. favorite parts was learning a little bit about the backstory of each of the courts. Yeah, you, you get to see more details about them. Yeah, it was super interesting. 
Yeah. So it really, it is definitely like more story centric in that sense. And you learn more about it, which I really appreciate. Cause like, yeah, the romance is decided it's been established. Now let's get down to the nitty gritty. And like we mentioned, this book clocks in at 700 pages. So she doesn't hold back. Um, but I guess we'll just kind of plant our spoiler alert here. You have the summary. You have our thoughts. Press pause and go read it or continue on. And we kind of have to go a little broad with this one, guys. Otherwise, we could be here for hours. <laughs> Truly. And there, there's so much. Like, this is such a complex universe that she's created. Yes. That there is no way we could cover it all without having to do, like, multiple episodes in each yes. book. So, yes. yeah, we're going so to we're gonna we're give gonna stick you to the... the high level. Yes, exactly. And but hopefully give, you know, a satisfying ending to this part, yes. like portion of this story. So like we said, at the end of A Court of Mist and Fury, the second in the series, Feyre is back in the spring court um, with Tamlin, who's the high lord of the spring court, her first love before, you know, she came to her senses and fell in love with Rysen. So... Um, she goes back there under a bruise that the entire time she was being tricked by the night court and she didn't actually want to be there. She wasn't mates with, with Reese and she's back in love with Tamlin and she's back in the spring court where she belongs. But the reader knows that she's there to collect information because Tamlin has allied himself with Highburn because he's a little twat. And, <laughs> um, an exchange to save her, which is just like the stupidest thing in the world. But anyway, one person for, you know, an entire population. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so she's there to collect insider information on him, pass it back to Reese in the night court through her bond because they are still bonded as mates, even though you had that one kind of like heart in your throat moment where you thought it was broken. Um, but she also is planning, and this is the petty Farah I love because, like, I would also do this. She's trying to take down the spring court from within by making all of Tamlin's people lose faith in him and see him for the weak little being that he is, which I love. I loved this portion of the book. I loved it, too, and it is so brilliant, like... It's because we're petty, but we love it. <laughs> but let me just say, give that girl an Oscar because she acts so flawlessly to yes. get all of these ruses complete and to like yes. plant the seeds of doubt so effortlessly amongst the people. It's it's wonderful. She thought of everything. I could not pull this off. My facial expressions would give it away. I yes. would not think as far ahead as she does. Like it was amazing so good it's just hard though because like you still like some of the characters in the night in the spring court like lucian L- listen i'm Alice. a lucian fan yeah for sure Lucian's yeah my so favorite. i was like i love her being petty but i'm also like but just be nice to lucian and like alice and she was who- she was, she, yeah. She did have those concerns. Like, you know, she still showed the human side of her to where she was thinking about the others. Like, if I do this, how is it going to harm them? But luckily, it does end up working out for everyone but Tamlin, who, which we love. We love to see that. Um, 
because while Feyre has been away at the night court, um, Tamlin has allowed his high priestess, Ianthe, to kind of take over, and she's become kind of like his right-hand man, if you will say. If, like, if you red want to flag. Say that. Red flag. She's been a red flag the entire time. She's like, she has. whispers sweet nothings and pretends to play this part of like the pious priestess, but she's power hungry. She seduces men. She uses men for whatever she wants to like uses them and abuses them essentially. And she um, to get her way to be Feyre's friend and like on yeah. her side, but you can tell she's not like, it reminds me of that part in Mean Girls where she's like, Oh my gosh, I love your skirt. Where did you get it? And then as soon as the girl walks away, she's like, that's the ugliest skirt I've ever seen. Like that's yes. Ianthe vibes is Mean Girl. Yes, absolutely. Um, she's a very, very dangerous character um, because she's able to, you know, talk the weaker men into believing her. Um, but I love like all the little antics that Feyre gets up to. Like they're just these little scenes of her undermining Tamlin, making him look bad. Like um, it comes to, I think like summer solstice. In in the spring court. And so they have this religious service up on this mountain. And she knows Ianthe has, like, this plan to where the sun will rise directly behind her at this one, like, spot in her sermon. And it'll be, like, the Lord or, like, the gods blessed her. And she is the and, and yada yada. But it turns out Feyre had, like, come earlier and, like, everything just, like, slightly to the right and positioned yes. herself that whenever the sun rose, it shone on her. And she has, like, I think it's, like, the day court or the dawn court. I don't know. But she can glow, essentially. She, like, can emanate this light. And so when this hit her, she, like, released her power to emanate the light. And she's just, like oh my goodness, like, I never thought I would be the chosen one. So then everyone in the spring court was like, the gods have chosen Feyre to lead us out of this. And she broke the curse and she did all this because they call her Feyre curse breaker. So it's just that was so all good. these it like such a perfectly moment. timed. It was. It was amazing. Um, and she also like planted these little seeds in Tamlin's mind that she and Lucian had a thing going on, which was... yes. It was sad to see because Lucian had no clue. And I really like him. I like his character. Um, But she felt guilty about it. But it was just a way to, like, get Tamlin kind of thrown off balance and, like, to not trust Lucian. And in doing so, kind of, like, created this crack in their friendship. It was fun to see him, like, self-destruct, basically. It was awesome. I loved that. good. (laughs) But I loved it. Uh, but while they are there, Jurian, who we finally told the story of <laughs> Jurian last um, episode, and he comes as Highburn's um, ally, and he brings along, I think, like, the niece and nephew of the Highburn queen, Branagh yes. and Jagden. And they are these nasty fae. There's definitely some incest going on. It's kind of like Jamie and Cersei Lannister, if you have watched game of thrones uh but they are there to find a spot in the wall to break so that they can bring down between their lands and the human lands so 
Feyre is listening to them. She's noting their movements. Um, and whenever they're out inspecting the wall one day, Feyre knows that it's time for her to leave. She's, you know, pretty much caused Tamlin to self-destruct. The spring court is coming down. They don't trust him. Um, but now she needs to get away without Lucian noticing, without Jerrion noticing, and with, especially without the Highburn twins noticing. But as she's leaving, she sees that the two twins, Branagh and Dagden, have killed three humans that they had met earlier in the day. They're children of the blessed, um, who they're basically humans who worship the High Fae and like sacrifice themselves by going through the wall. Uh, but she managed to send them away. But the twins went over the wall, brought them back, and killed them. So she sees that, and she sees Red, essentially. She's so angry. She thought she had saved them. And so she goes hunting for the twins. Um, but on her way, she also runs into Ianthe and Lucian. And Ianthe is trying to seduce Lucian and use him like for her own good. And this is the moment when Feyre, like, comes back to herself. Like, her pettiness is gone, her anger is gone, and she's just back to doing the right thing. So she knows she can't, lose, she can't leave Lucian there. So possesses Ianthe's mind and is like, drop the stone. Or, like, drop this. Untie Lucian. And she's doing all this. And then she has Ianthe, like, break her own hand. That was with brutal. a rock. This was brutal, but also like the symbolism because she said, "Don't heal it and don't have a healer come um, take care of it for you." Because she's like, she has control of her mind and she's telling like what to do. But um, she's like, and every time you look at this hand, I hope it reminds you of all the people that you've touched and that you should never touch anyone ever again against their will. And I was like, Feyre, yes. So good. A little justice. Yes. So then she and Lucian um, leave because Lucian's like, I can't stay here now. The, the court's falling apart. Tamlin hates me, yada, yada. And when they leave, they see the Highburn twins are behind them. So they have to battle together. And they're both gravely wounded, but they kill the Highburn twins and escape. So she's trying to get back to the night. And she's bringing Lucian with her. Um, so they go to that. the winter court. Yeah. Yeah. I loved when they were like with... together. Yes. Yeah. We I chose to go Lucian with her. With her because it was definitely a deliberate choice. But it was. He also... had to choose between her and Tamlin. Yeah. And he chose and her. He... So I think that speaks to her power and like how good of a person she is that like even Lucian is starting to distrust Tamlin, who is his best friend. Um, yes, but Tamlin saved him also, at some point. Yes. He owes him his life, and he still chooses Feyre. Yes, but he's also mated to her sister Elaine, and so yes. there's kind of like that aspect too, where it's it's like physically and mentally hurting him not to be near her and to be with her, yeah. so he's choosing to go that way. I would which, say like a big portion of his decision to go, I think, was with Elaine. Yeah. Like, but I also think that he would have chosen no matter what, like, to go with Yeah. Sarah. I think it was definitely both. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I love this little moment. It kind of, like, built their friendship 
and created a bond between them. Like, you could tell there was, like, definitely some tension between the two. Um, but I do really appreciate and love their friendship and how it's portrayed. But for sure, they have to go through... Uh, they have to, they're trying to get to the night court through the winter court, but first they have to go through autumn court, which is where Lucian is and where all his brothers and his father, who all hate him, are. So they're almost through the autumn court, but um, his brothers find them and they think that they're going to get dragged back to the high lord of the autumn court, but they, they're able to escape into winter. And then there's like this big showdown on a frozen lake. It made me so nervous because they kept like uh, the autumn court power is fire, and so yes. it kept they kept like melting the ice beneath them, um, and favorite like they had, um, like earlier when they were fighting the Highburn twins, they had taken their magic away with Feybane, which is like this poison that nullifies their magic power. So it's looking like very dire for Lucian and Feyre. Until all of a sudden, Cashin and Azriel come down to save them. Um, they send a warning back with Lucian's brothers, like, not to mess with them, especially the High Lady of the Night Court. And then they take Lucian and Farah away to the Night Court, where she's finally reunited with Bryson. Finally. Finally. And, and this is where you get the scene. Like, the yeah. one and only scene. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, Favorite, was- lady. Yes, it was good, and it's a great opportunity. Like, it's all building up to that reunite moment. Yes. But, yeah, we definitely needed more of that. But that's okay. Yes. So, they're reunited. And dot, dot, dot. Um, (laughs) Fade to black. uh, Yeah, fade to black. Um, But it's so back to, it's so good to be back with these characters. You know, you got to know them so well in the second book. Because um, they're such like a family. That's one thing. Yes, that was so missing with the Spring Court, and why it was relatively easy for Feyre to like plant all the seeds of doubt in Tamlin is because he is so self-centered that he doesn't yes. create that family bond and atmosphere with everyone else. Versus the Night Court, they all trust each other so much, like they would sacrifice themselves for each other over and over right. and exactly it's just such a good such a good atmosphere so much better yeah and I loved when Lucian got to know that side of Feyre and see why she loved it there so much and he even said it he's like I understand now like I understand why you wanted to be here and why you fell in love with this place and with this guy you know I loved that moment between the two of them and I also love that Reese let Lucian stay and like they didn't like him, but they respected him. Yes. They were like, and they you... respected Feyre. Like, they knew she wouldn't have brought them him there if it was going to be a, a true problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they trusted and respected him because she did. Yeah. But she goes up to see her sisters because she hasn't seen them since they came out of the cauldron because she sacrificed herself to buy, like, to buy them time. So the first thing she noticed is that Nesta is bitter and like what's changed. Um, yeah, that's an understatement. She's like, yeah. she's a hag. She's enraged. <laughs> she, she's a yeah. hag. <laughs> yeah, like she, I will like, you know, she had the moment where she pointed out the cauldron while 
<laughs> while she went down in it and was like swore that she would kill the king of Tyburn. Which apparently there's a TikTok out there that Emmy keeps telling me about about this girl who's trying to like gracefully reenact that scene, and she's like, "I don't know how you do it in a way that's not like weird." <laughs> If but you anyway, find it, I want to have to send it to me. I will, <laughs> and I will share on the pod page. And Emmy is looking for it. And usually, it's yes. like you talk about it and it pops back up. But it it's been months, and so I'm convinced Dude, I'll never get to see this. When the algorithm, I'm I'm convinced that when they know you want something, they will not show it to you. Like, it yeah, will not circle back to the unfinished story that you want. No, of course not. We'll see. Maybe we'll find it. Maybe I just like spoken into existence. We're gonna manifest it. Yes. Anyway, totally going off on a tangent. <laughs> but she has a bone to pick with Hybert. Let's put it that way. Um, but Elaine is the complete opposite. She is like a shell of the person that she used to be. She's not eating. She's not sleeping. She has like no life in her eyes. She's like a dull version of herself. And can't come to terms with the fact that she's now like high say because she was yeah. engaged to be married to this man she loved and you know we're gonna spoiler alert elaine you dodged a bullet because we meet him later but anyway um yeah. so they're all very very concerned about her and nesta is very protective of elaine like that that is the one that is the one person she loves unconditionally and so she's very very protective of her um and won't even let lucian like near her and that was like one of the agreements that they came to was like lucian could be there but he had to like give elaine space and stay away from her so that Uh, is the state that everybody's in it's a mess it's a hot mess at the moment so while everybody is, you know, reunited, happy to see each other, they're also very aware that war is imminent with Highburn, and they're trying to strategize how they can win and how they can rally all the courts to fight together and not ally with Highburn like Hamlin and the Spring Court did. So they're trying to devise a plan there. Amrin is trying to work with Nesta to train her new powers because they all know Nesta is very powerful, but they don't know how powerful she is because she stole something from the cauldron when she went in. And there's something like otherworldly, which I don't even know if that word can even apply in this situation because it's a different world. It's like it's an other world of that. Like she is she has like this ancient power her that nobody yes. it's else like has. the highest kind of power like it's like above... Amron's power yeah you know Amron came from another world there and was bound into a fey body and they think that like Nessa's connection to the cauldron since she stole from it will come in handy Elaine would also come in handy but she's not helpful at all at the moment she's struggling yeah so their focus there is just to like kind of get her back to being herself and in the meantime, Freya was like, I want to train for battle, but also I want to learn how to fly. Because she can, you know, one of the powers, one of the powers she got is shape-shifting, and she can, like, shift wings out of her back. And she's like, I know I can't become as good of a flyer as all of you, but 
something tells me it'll come in handy. So now you have like the mon like the movie montage of training and learning to fly and you know, with Nessa working with Amran. Yeah, like a solid soundtrack. <laughs> yes. This is where That's like awesome. the theme song nominated for an Oscar comes in, you know. <laughs> yes. So meanwhile, like with Feyre training and not whatnot. Reese and his, everyone, his, uh, what would you call them? Advisors, I guess. Yeah. Have cooked up this plan that they need to have a meeting with all seven high lords because they know that it's going to take cooperation with as many courts as they can to defeat Highburn, which is pretty revolutionary for yeah. this because they all don't get along. There's like, a few of them will ally with one another. Most of them don't get along. Of there's still there's bad some... blood from the last war. Yes. Which was like the 500 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a match. And I do not envy that kind of like diplomacy. I, I could not. There's a reason no. I didn't go into politics. There's many reasons, but that's <laughs> one of them. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, Feyre is cooking up a plan of her own. Like, Reese is taking care of the High Lords and, like, Plan A. And Feyre is coming up with Plan B in case yes. that doesn't go well. So she pays a visit to the Bone Carver, which is an ancient death god at the, you know, prison that they visited um, in the last episode. So I really hope you guys have listened or read <laughs> Episodes one and two or books one and two to, to catch up. Otherwise, with this. this will make no sense. This will make zero sense. Um, and the bone carver is like, I like, I actually like my prison cell because my siblings are death gods even worse than I am. He's like, but I will help you if you bring me the Ouroboros mirror. I totally butchered that, but no, I like, cannot I say don't... it the same twice. <laughs> Side note, that was the whole, I just now put this together, listening and rereading the summary. Um, that Ouroboros thing was a side note of the uh, Riley Sager book that we read. Yes. It's yeah. like Infinity Game. How itself. odd is that? That I had never heard that word in term. And, and now, now it's, it's everywhere. Twice. Yes. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I thought it. about that. Um, whenever I was reading, I was like, oh, that was in the murder mystery we just did. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Ouroboros, uh, go listen to our Riley Sager episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he says, you have to bring me that mirror. And she's like, sure, how hard can that be? But then it's rumored that anybody who looks into the mirror goes mad because it shows them the worst version of themselves. And most people cannot live with that. So Feyre's like, I I will find a different way because she's afraid of looking at <laughs> it. Because who would it be? Uh, we don't want to see the worst versions of ourselves. So Listen, we probably already know what it is and we're in denial. So Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Bring me the mirror. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they go back to the library to do more research on how to like break the spells surrounding the cauldron and all this stuff. There's a lot of magic involved. But while they are there, 
Um, it's Feyre and Nesta working together for one of three times that they will work together in the book. <laughs> and something it like it's it's one of those moments where things get very quiet and you know something's wrong. And there's a cloud, like a dark, shadowy cloud that appears before them, and out step two Highburn spies, like from this portal. And somehow Highburn has like breached the walls and the shield that they have around Valeris. So they don't know what to do. Feyre, like, they, again, use the Feybane so she can't use her power. She can't call Therese. Um, but she knows that there is rumored to be a monster, like, at the bottom of the library. It's, like, of course, built into a mountain, like everything else in the Night Court. And so she grabs Nessa's hand, and they run down to the bottom. And at the bottom, she meets this monster. You never see it. It's just supposedly supposed to appear as your worst nightmare. There's a theme here. Um, so she makes a bargain with it that if it saves them, you know, she will do whatever it asks. And what it asks for is company to tell it of the outside world, which to me is very sad. For sure. Very sad, but also kind of... It's kind of like what you what people deem to be a monster could actually just be misunderstood. Yes. Or maybe Which... I would just be the one to die first and like a fantasy novel because I'm like it's a monster that's misunderstood and then it's actually just a monster, but <laughs> No, I totally get that and I think by the end we circle back to that because Yes. it comes in quite handy, but it was yes. super sad that it's like I just want some company. It doesn't even ask to like be let out or anything it just no it's just said, down there come tell me stories outside worlds yeah it doesn't even want to be free but this monster is known as Briaxis so or Briaxis I like Briaxis I think yeah, um, I... <laughs> so Briaxis takes care of the spies Cashin and Reese get there at the last moment um, to kind of question them before they kill them and she, like, Feyre and Nessa are whisked back up, like, to the living room where everybody, you know, gathers around and they tell them. But Feyre, while they're retelling the story, begins to realize that Elaine, who everyone was thought was kind of just going a little mad, um, because, like we said, she's a shell of herself. She doesn't eat. She doesn't sleep. She just walks around muttering these random phrases. Um, but she won't talk otherwise. But Feyre realizes that Elaine had predicted the attack because she said something like, two ravens are following you. Or like something like that. And they had referred to themselves as ravens of Highburn. So she realizes that her sister is indeed not going mad. She's actually a seer. That's the power that she got from the cauldron. She is able to have these visions that she didn't know her visions at the time that will tell the future. Which comes in handy and now they're all like Elaine starts to play a more central part of the story or like Yeah, because she's just kind of like the boring <laughs> Yeah, she was just yeah, there she and was so to, like, helpless yeah. Oh my god I'm Okay, can I go on my Elaine tangent? Yes. She is like Oh, such a pampered little princess. But also to the point where she's like 
I don't just like a hazard to herself and absolutely helpless and it annoyed me to no end I didn't take her as being like a pampered princess I just took her as like helpless like this delicate flower yeah she's like like, the beauty that like they were like we're gonna teach you how to like stitch and build a flower bouquet but like not any actual helpful skills while everyone else is like literally going into battle and fighting for their yeah. life. And she's like, I'm just she gonna was, wait back here. She was just like the night she was just delicate. And yes. I don't have time for delicate people. I don't no like, one, there's not room for that in this No, it was just <laughs> annoying. Like every time there would be a battle, she would be like in the background throwing up, which like, okay, but get over it. Yeah. What are you gonna do? You know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It just annoyed me, and she's, like, slightly redeemed at the end, but, like, yes. not enough to really fully make up for it. <laughs> but anyway, that's my Elaine tangent, because she just, it just annoyed me how delicate and frail, it's frail, they portrayed her to be frail. Yes, yes. And, like, just go tend to your garden while we sharpen our swords. No, like. Grow a pair, Elaine. Learn how to yield the sword. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> that's my tangent. But anyway, she can now see the <laughs> Um, And this is when you learn who talks about a queen who became a firebird. Um, or like a queen on fire flying over the lake. Something like that. She said some pretty <laughs> ominous Weird things. Weird stuff. Yeah. Um, but this is when you learn about human queen named Vasa. So the six human queens that uh, snitches in the last book, we realized that there's a seventh. and Or maybe it's there were five and now there are six. Anyway, there's an extra. Um, and her name is Vasa. <laughs> and all the other queens envied her. Um, she thought differently than them. She wanted to fight against them. So they basically sold her off to this creepy old man who like collected special people and cursed her to where she appeared as a firebird for part of the day and then a human queen for the other half. Kind of like Fiona in Shrek. Um, yes. <laughs> That's a perfect. <laughs> that was my immediate analogy. connection. <laughs> I like it. Um, except she's a firebird and not an ogre. Um, so they need somebody at this point to go find her because she might have some forces or she might have some hybrid secrets to share. And so Lucian volunteers to go alone, which is very dangerous to find her and to convince her to be an ally to the night court and all the courts fighting against Hybern. So Lucian leaves. There's like a cute little moment between him and Feyre where she thanks him. Reese thanks him. And even, well, no, Elaine's silent. Um, and I was nervous for this. I was nervous for Lucian. I was nervous too because it would like I wouldn't put it past like Sarah J. Moss to be like we're gonna use him as like to to move the story along and he was gonna die yeah. on this quest. But I yeah. also felt like his story wasn't over yet. I felt yeah. like it would be premature to kill him off. So 
Um, I don't trust he's... nobody, so I just <laughs> that's true. The worst, and the characters I like are gonna die. So it's safest, was... you know. Yes, yeah, I was real it's nervous. safe to assume that. Um, so he's off on his little solo quest, and we don't see him for quite a while, which kind of made me sad because I liked his humor. Um, but shortly after Lucian leaves, um, Highburn attacks the Summer Court, and the Summer Court is where in book two, Feyre, Reese, um, and Amran all have blood rubies because they stole from the Summer Court, and the blood yeah. rubies like basically a like price on your head. Yeah. Um, so they couldn't show up. But anyway, the Night Court immediately goes to their aid. There's a pretty, I thought this was a pretty cool battle sequence because you get to see Favorite in action. It's Favorite and more. They kind of like clear out the palace, the summer yeah. palace. Wow. Favorite steps up. She does. She's not Elaine. She's not puking in the background. She's like, let's yeah. go kill some Highburn Fae. So they clear out. Um, the palace, they help Summer kind of like hold their court and in thanks, Tarquin, the High Lord of the Summer Court kind of rescinds the blood rubies. Um, but he's still salty, which we love yeah. a grudge, Tarquin. I love it. <laughs> um, yes. yes. And this so, is the first time that Pharaoh's really like I think coming face to face with how bad this war is going to be. Which was yes. shocking to me because I'm like, girl, it's going to be bad. It's quit kidding yourself. This is going to yeah. get ugly and people are going to die. Yeah. So I was surprised by that. But I think it was a but also I don't, you scene. fully appreciate the going to be until you're in it. That's true. Until but she was literally she had there, to have, like fighting yeah. for her life. Yeah. And that was like a very small glimpse of what it would be because she wasn't even on the battlefield she was like getting like the scraps on the side essentially so after this surprise attack on the summer court they did nobody saw this coming they decide that they need to move up the meeting of the high lords like all of them um because the war essentially so they decide to hold the meeting at the dawn court right at the day court the, the Donner, the decor. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just small details. Another court. And um, they put on all their finest. This is like Feyre's first meeting as High Lady at the Night Court. She doesn't want to disappoint, essentially. So they all show up. They're making like idle small talk. Everybody seems to be butting heads already. And everybody's surprised <laughs> when the High Lord of the Autumn Court shows up. Um, because he has the grudge against Feyre and obviously Lucian, and they now know that Lucian's at the Night Court. But uh, his older son, or his eldest son, Eris, convinced him to come. And this is a small detail we skipped over, but previously they had gone to the Court of Nightmares to look for the mirror um, and ask here to give the mirror of uh, the Ouroboros to them. Um, and that's when Feyre decided, eh, not worth seeing the worst version of myself. But while they were there, they brought Eris in because um, he knew that he could convince Kier, like, through this, they wanted to create an alliance between those two. Um, he wanted, Eris wants, like, the protection 
basically the support of the court of nightmare and the night court that when not if when he kills his father to take over the throne that they would back him so they made this small like side alliance that day Moore was very upset obviously because they're working with her ex-fiance who brutalized her and her dad who's a twat um <laughs> that's like her like new word yeah she had the worst family it was she was i felt so bad for her she had the worst family the worst romantic history yeah. but she's still this bright shiny person um most of the time but in exchange for all of that Eris said i will bring my father to the meeting of the high lords and i will make sure our troops back you in the war the price they had to pay that's the price of war you know you make deals that you not you ne- you wouldn't necessarily do like every day so he shows up they get the meeting started and then who strolls in late and makes a very dramatic entrance none other than tamlin tamlin has arrived everybody's Which... angry because no oh, go ahead oh i was just to say like no one thought he would because he never even acknowledged the invite. All yes. the others had said, like, yeah, we'll be there, blah, 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 whatever. And so he was kind of like the last minute wild card that they weren't sure. If but they, they also, get... he had like very publicly backed Highburn. Yeah. So they're like, he's an enemy. And I have to say, I hate Tamlin. We all know this. But it took some balls to walk into that room, a sworn oh, enemy. Sure. And be like, hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And he was a petty little man, which he might deserve to be in this situation. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he threw insults at Feyre and the Night Court. And he was just like a man spurned, you know, yes. like, yes, that is exactly how he acted. He tried to get the High Lords to, like, unite against. Um, Bryson and Feyre because of what they did to him. He exposed what Feyre did to his court, which, like, looking back, may have been ill-timed. You know, I don't think it was in poor taste, but it was (laughs) ill-timed. Um, But he's, like, he kind of throws a wrench into their plan. But then he reveals that he only allied, in quotes, you know, allied with Highburn so that he can learn their position. So, um, and, like, give them access to information from Highburn's side. So he reveals it to them. They kind of form a shaky alliance with him, but they don't reveal anything in front of him because they don't really trust him. Yeah. Um, this whole book is a lot of, like, who do you trust and what's really going to happen? Yes. And I feel like Sarah J. Moss is so good at flipping the switch and, like, throwing a wrench in things that it makes by the third book you're just like I don't know what to believe anymore I don't know who to believe yes she does a very very good job of that so they make like this very tenuous alliance you get to know um, the High Lord of the Day Court who's Hellion who I really like he kind of puts on this public face of being an asshole but then he's like a nice asshole in private um and i really liked him he's kind of like this cocky guy you know but while they're there like the next morning they're getting ready to go into negotiations when like there's this basically the world starts to shake 
and everyone thinks they're being attacked. They think something's happened, but then they hear news that Highburn has destroyed the wall using the cauldron, um, which is what they were planning on how to prevent. But the time has come, the wall is gone, and now the human lands are exposed to Highburn and all its, you know, might. So the war has begun in earnest now. Like it, it's here. I, it, I feel like this book is so long and so much happens, but it happens so quickly. Yes. Like I did not expect that to happen. Honestly, I was like, oh well, like this is happening. The war is here. Like they're not going to stop this. Which I like. I liked that she was able to do that. Like I feel like in a lot of novels. Or fantasy things, it's like, we're going to set out to do this. And then they achieve it. And it's like, we pulled off the impossible. And it's like, all bright, shiny, happy. And this is like, all right, we're going to set out to achieve this. Oh, we failed. Now what do we do? Like, plan C. It definitely, yes. It was really action-packed and really quick-paced. So that it didn't feel like... Like, there is so much that happens, but it doesn't feel like it's just dragging on and on. It's... Yeah. And you get to see the crucial scenes. It's... Yeah, it's not like the, oh, yeah. we're we're pre- we're plotting to prevent this and we achieved our mission. It's like, no, shit's going down. And now we're constantly having to rework what we're going to do. Yes, exactly. I, I really like that part of the book. Um, so now they're scrambling to come up with a plan C... And they decide that they need to help the humans, which not all the High Lords wanted to do. But they're like, we have to get the humans out of harm's way because that's where Highburn will strike first. Like the Spring Court and the human lands. So Elaine comes up with the idea to harbor all the humans at her ex-fiancé's. Yeah. I, I guess you would call him um, at his father's estate because she's like his father hates our kind so it's well protected if we like station guards out there unbeknownst to, the, to them obviously um, then we will hopefully protect all these humans so they arrange an, a meeting and they you know the humans begrudgingly agree but when they arrive there when the Lord and again, Grayson, which his name's Grayson, only come on. Um, Horrible. Awful. When they step in, right behind them is Jurian, the human that Amarantha had kept alive in her eye ring. Um, and then the cauldron, you know, brought back to life. He's the enemy of Prithian, he's Hybern's ally. Come to find out, Jurian has been a double agent all along, and he's working to protect the humans and is actually working with Prithian and like all the courts, unbeknownst to them. Because so he was he, in love with a human, right? Was that him? With, that was in love? with the half human. Yeah. Miriam. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. But he was the enemy. He was everybody's enemy. Yeah, he thought no, he was the sure. enemy to this point. Yeah. And this is another thing that I loved. She pulled this off. I did not see this coming, that he was working yeah. as a double agent. Oh, no, um, neither. And I didn't trust him the rest of the book. But... No. Um, <laughs> he's actually... He, like, allied himself with Highburn in order to learn their movements and then 
go for work from there how to save the humans because he wanted to save the humans as a human um and so then he was there telling them you know you need to protect yourself you need to this is what hibern's gonna do and i love this i love this reveal and this twist because i did not see it coming and i was glad that he did like turn into a good guy and it wasn't just like a constant bait and switch i don't know it was like a good yeah it was like yeah that was satisfying yes and yeah i loved it um so they agree to um protect the humans there um on the estate grayson's also taught and breaks it off with elaine like basically stomps in her heart and like grinds it into the mud um, but I'll honestly get over him, Elaine. He wasn't that special, but he did suck. He he really sucks. So now they're trying to figure out, you know, where they're gonna meet Hybern in battle. And this is it's just constant action from this point on. Like it flies past. Like the last couple hundred pages just absolutely fly by. Um Feyre makes another deal with Briaxis, the monster in the bottom of the library. Um, that she will unleash the monster to fight for them, but only when they, like, when she calls to it. Only at this moment. It's um, like the ace in the hole that yes. she's got. Yes. Which I loved. Me too. Um, and during another battle, um, this time, I forget where this one is. It's in another court. I think maybe also in the summer court. Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. There's another battle and more is itching to get into the battle. Um, you can see she's like desperate to get in there and Fair is like, I'm not helping on the sidelines. You're not helping on the sidelines. You go in. I'll be fine. So when war goes in to fight, Pharaoh went as a way to find the cereal, which is um, one of the, you know, ancient monsters that she has somehow befriended yet another one of them um that she's basically befriended from book one um so she's trying to seek the truth because the serial is like the truth telling fairy monster thing um but she's like how do we beat highburn and serial advises that they need to scry which is using like bones and stones to locate something and they need Nesta to scry for the cauldron's location. Um, and that's going to provide them a clue. But at that moment, when they're talking, um, Ianthe shows up with some hibern guards and she kills the cereal. And Feyre um, found the cereal by the Weaver's College. College. Weaver's Cottage. Cottage. Um, which is another death god the bone carver's sister but we met the weaver in book two so wow i really hope you guys are caught up um the weaver's the one with the scary like cottage with hair human in it hair and yeah they steal thing like it's blind but it steals objects or it has treasures or whatever yeah and she like eats people to stay young yeah you know the use um so then Feyre plots and this is kind of morbidly one of my favorite parts of the book <laughs> but she pretends to be afraid of Ianthe I mean she is afraid but she 
runs in the direction of the cottage and Ianthe and the two guards follow her. Um, and she runs straight into the cottage and before the door can shut, because once the door is shut, you're locked in there. She holds it open and Ianthe and the two guards run in past her. It's very dark in there because the weaver is blind. Um, and that's how she lures her victims in. And then Feyre runs back out the door and slams the door behind her. And the weaver gets Ianthe and the hybrid guards. That was and very that, satisfying. That is how Ianthe's story ends. I was literally like cheering and clapping yes. when I read the part. Of- I was yes. like, what a fitting ending. Yes. yes. So she's got rid of that problem. Um, but then she goes back to the war camp. And she and Nestor are able to scry the cauldron's location um, and they were able to see the cauldron but the cauldron also seemed to see them which is kind of freaky not gonna lie yeah. um, and later that night they feel a presence in the camp they feel the cauldron's presence and everyone's accounted for but Elaine so in retaliation of them locating the cauldron the cauldron abducts Elaine and like uses kind of like this apparition of Grayson, her ex-fiance, to lure her out of the camp so that they can capture her. Stupid girl. It's so Stupid easy. girl. Like, give it's him so up. It's such an give easy Give him trap. up. Yeah, he was not worth it. No. But Feyre has decided um, that she's going to go in and rescue Elaine and Asriel um, helps her. Because there's like been some sweet moments between Asriel and Elaine. She's or he has helped her get out of her shell. He's helped her in the garden. He's kind of watched over her. And I can't tell if there's going to be a romance there. I don't know how I feel about it because of Lucian. Right. That's going to be awkward if there is a romance there. But then she also has shown some interest in Lucian. I don't know. I don't know where that's going. Um, but anyway, Feyre and Asriel go to Highburn's camp to rescue Elaine. And Bayer does this by, like, putting a glamour on to appear as Ianthe, who nobody knows is dead yet because she literally just killed her. But they show up. She's able to successfully get into the camp. And when they're in there, they run into Jurian, who, as we know, are double agent. He's back in Hybern's camp. But he sees through the glamour immediately, and he knows it's Feyre. And this is when he kind of proved himself to me to where I was like, all right, he's good. He's like, I will cause a distraction. Once you hear screaming, you have five minutes to get out, essentially. Um, And he does just that. He goes and just, you know, he tells her what tent um, Elaine is in. Azriel and Feyre grab Elaine. The screaming starts and they run for the edge of the camp. But of course, people figure out they're there and that they're trying to take Elaine back. And they actually, like, injure Aira on her way out. Um, but then this beast runs out of nowhere to save them from, like, the Hybern guards. And it's none other than Tamlin in his beast form. He redeems himself a little bit. A little like, bit. We still don't this like is him. This the bare minimum. I'm we like. We still don't like him, but he at least uses his selfishness to like still protect Feyre, even though yeah. she's not having it and she's with Reese. Like, he still. Yes. I don't know. He still loves her. 
Oh, for sure. And he's still, it would be so Or the version of her that he loved. Like, that version is gone, but he's yeah. still in love with that version. Yes. But... So, he helps Feyre, which, I mean, if he hadn't, she would have been captured or killed. Um, so, yeah, it, he it very is lucky. easily could have been like, screw you, yeah. jilted lover. So, yeah, you got to give him credit where it's due and this is yes. like the you know one of the moments he gets credit so he helps them get away this is where her flying lessons came in handy because she was able to fly they were like at a cliff's edge so she was able to fly off with Azriel and then winnow away and then Tamlin also jumps you know out of reach of like the camp wards and winnows away so you don't know where Tamlin went but he's not in Highburn he's kind of revealed his double agent um status as well so they get back to the camp and now the war is here the main battle is here um but the night this before this is so good but the I feel like it's battle such a small yeah the final battle yeah. is like heart pounding so like well written such a small part though it is it really is it's in like the last hundred pages yeah it's all leading up to this moment so yes they quickly realize that Hybern has the advantage. They picked where the battle is going to be. Hybern has way more soldiers um, than the Prithian forces, but they're like, we have to do this or our world and the human world will fall. So the night before the battle, Feyre decides to make a little solo field trip back to the Court of Nightmares and to get the Ouroboros mirror so that she can call on the bone carver to help them and she looks in there she sees the monster within you could say um and she comes to terms with it and i think like the thing is it shows you the worst version of yourself and a lot of people go mad at that but she learned to love it she's like i learned to love every part of me which is a big self-love message from sarah j moss um but the mirror like surrendered itself to her and she's able to go to the bone carver for help. And this part kind of made me laugh um, because again, it's such like a clever little thing, but the bone carver is like, Oh, I actually don't need that. I just wanted to make sure you were worthy. Yeah. See that like pissed me off. She was pissed. (laughs) She was pissed. But like, I would do something like that. Like, Oh, I actually didn't need that. I just wanted to make sure you would do it. Oh my gosh. You were horrible. That's horrible. I am. I really am. Um, but the battle starts. So she has Reaxis and she has the Bone Carver. And like you said, this is those are like her aces in her back pocket. Um, but she plays them first because it's like the, the battle is set. The armies are facing each other. Um, they both have wards up. And it's like a fantastic magical battle. I mean, yeah. I highly, I don't know. I highly recommend reading this book and the series just for this scene because it's so well written. Um, but she unleashes Briaxis and the Bone Carver first, and then um, Reese plays the Ace up his sleeve, which he struck a deal with the Weaver, who you know the Weaver in the woods who killed Ianthe and all that. And so they unleash those monsters first. They cut through Hybern's army. Um, but Hybern overpowers them anyway because they're too powerful. They have the cauldron that can like 
incinerate hundreds of soldiers in one blow. Um, and they're starting to be overwhelmed. But just when all seems lost, like a horn sounds and you see more Hybern forces coming in from the sea. So they really have started to like accept their fate. And there's this like really touching moment where it's like the little group, like Cashin, Azrael, Nesta, Elaine, Feyre, Reese, Amran, Moore, like they're all on the side of the battlefield and they're kind of like, this is the last time we're all going to be together. And you really, I started to get like emotional on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> Even reading it for the second time. I was sweating. When, yeah. Cause you're like, who's going to die? Yes. Yeah. It's not if it's like, who's in your head. It's like, who's going to die. Um, and then you hear another horn and you look out and it's Draken and Miriam who were, you know, Miriam was Jurian's lover or now ex-lover um, and Draken is the one that married Miriam and there's bad blood between them. So Miriam and Draken took their people to like a faraway land. Nobody could find them, but they heard about the war they flew their forces in as reinforcements, but then they look and there's like hundreds of ships as well. And at the very front of the ship is um, Feyre, Elaine, and Nessa's father, who had flown, he had like sailed to the continents to rally forces to help in the battle. And he arrived just in time. And the three ships that he owned were the Feyre, the Elaine, and the Nesta. Which and I this thought was, was such so a sweet. It was so sweet, and this was such a surprising little twist because I thought this man would be useless over three books. I forgot about him. Like, I forgot about yes, him. I thought that he was like dead somewhere, or I really didn't even know because he just he's in the first book a little bit, but he sucks because he's yeah, not he's... providing for his family and favors having to do it all. And then I just like he's literally useless the whole time until right now, and it's like oh, okay, this is a pleasant surprise that you're not trash. Yeah. yeah. Which So now with these forces, they feel like they have a chance, but they're still being overpowered on the battlefield. So Nesta and Cashin agree to create a diversion to get the King of Hybern's attention away from the cauldron so that Feyre and Amran can go basically nullify its powers. So, um... Nesta and Cashin go off alone. Feyre and Amran go to the cauldron. And Amran's like, all right, so we're going to touch the cauldron and I'm going to say this spell and hopefully it'll nullify its powers. So Feyre touches it. She looks back and Amran like throws the book away. And she's like, I lied to you. This got me too. This part. I was convinced. I was like, Amran, what are you doing? Like, is this going to be the ultimate twist? The ultimate betrayal? Yes. And Feyre's kind of thinking the same thing. She's like, what's happening? Because, like, the cauldron, she's not strong enough to take the cauldron out on her own. So while she's touching the cauldron and, like, becomes one with it, she kind of sees the battle from the cauldron's perspective. um, And it focuses in on Nessa and Cashin, who's there with the King of Hybern. Like, they're battling the King of Hybern. Um, but the King of Hybern came with a surprise that they did not count on, and it's Nessa's father. Um, and he's using him basically as, like, a shield, a human shield. So um, 
NASA can't hurt him. But he ends up killing their dad. And it's a heartbreaking scene to watch Nesta um, react because she, you know, hated him for giving up on them and for being useless, kind of like we did. Um, But then she never gets the chance to, like, tell him that she never hated him. And so it was really, really sad. Heartbreaking scene. Cashin's gravely injured. You think they're about to die. And then Elaine stabs the king through the neck with a sword from behind. And then she Nesta finally comes does up. something. She finally <laughs> she does finally something. Does and she something says, like, right. don't touch my sister, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a little late, but like, okay, I'll give Better you points for this. Better late than never. Um, and then Nessa decapitates him, but the Hybern army still fights. They thought killing the king, you know, take out the head of the snake, essentially. Um but Hybern, like, they're so caught up in their cause. They don't realize the king is dead, and they keep fighting on. So then you discover why Amran tricked Feyre. She said she was using her as, like, a conduit. And with Feyre there, Amran could release her true self from its fae form. Because Amran's, like, this ancient monster bound into this into a form of high fae. So she jumps into the cauldron, basically sacrificing herself to save um, the army, like the Prithian forces. And she destroys the rest of the Hyrule forces, but in that process, it kills her and it breaks the cauldron. Which, like, shatters their whole worlds, basically. Yeah. Because, like, like, the cauldron is the source of power and everything for that world. So yes. breaking the cauldron will essentially cleave the world into pieces. So now they have another problem. <laughs> it's not over. <laughs> they have to figure out how like there are literal cracks coming from where the cauldron runs, cracks in the earth. So Reese comes up behind Feyre and he says, I think with our power together, we can mend the cauldron and piece this world back together. And so she, you know, again, touches the cauldron. She's putting all her power into it. Reese is channeling his power through her into the cauldron. And then you hear him say, I love you. And then the ah. cauldron is stitched back together. The world is all bright and shiny. And Fair is elated until she turns around and finds that the exertion killed Reese. It took all of his power. When I tell you, I was, like, almost <laughs> screaming reading this. I was like, we yes. did not come this far, this far for him yes. to die. Unacceptable. Yes. I will say, she had balls to be, like, she would, like, dangle it in front of you. Like, look yes. what I made happen, you know? And every now, just one, I, I admire authors who can do that, who can, like, make the big, you know, the big twist or the big kill and, like, stick with it. I know. Um, <laughs> But I did think I also, that, like, at the end, yeah. I was like, okay, you know what? Whatever. It's too rosy posy. But also, I was so mad. I was like, this can't I be was, This can't be I was going to be really mad if, if Reese stayed dead. But yeah, she did not stick with it. As the High Lords once resurrected Feyre with little kernels of their power, they all stepped forward and channeled some of their power into Reese. 
um, and Tamlin was the last one um, to do it. And Feyre basically turned to him and was like, please, like, please save him. And he gave him his little kernel of power. And he basically said, like, be happy, Feyre, and disappeared. And, and I felt like that was a circle, very, right? yeah, I felt like that was a very fitting ending to their relationship. Yes, I agree. You know, be happy. To me, that signals he's forgiven her and he sees why. But yeah, it comes full circle because Reese gave a kernel of power to her to save her for Tamlin and then the mm. power to Reese to save him for Feyre. Which is so poetic. Wow, and like, poetic. Yeah, <laughs> yes. In, in the long game that Sarah J. Moss plays in these books to like weave yes. this world in and weave these moments together so that like over the course of these books are probably about like 1,500, 2,000 pages. Yeah. And to tie it up so perfectly just like that is like yeah. magnificent. Yes. She, she played the long game and I love it. Yeah. So... Um, Reese wakes up and you know he's back. Pharaoh is worried that he would be different, you know, but he's not. He's good old Reese and he's like, I didn't get your power like she did, in case anybody's worried about that, because that was like a big source of tension with the other High Lords is that Pharaoh had some of their power. Um, but then in resurrecting Reese, um, and mending the cauldron, they also saved Amran and she came back not as you know the ancient god that she used to be but as high fae just high fae um yeah. so she was saved in saving the cauldron that was the one don't get me wrong I love Amran I'm glad she's back that was the one that should have stuck if I'm gonna be yeah. if I'm gonna have like a controversial opinion that kill that you that should have stuck in my opinion I agree. And also because that it seems like so like Amran's ancient being was so much a part of who she was. Like how can you have yes. Amran without that? After yeah. we've set this up for two books of how like different she is, it just feels weird. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So she's back. Um, and one of the points that I guess like did save this twist on the plot twist was there was Amron would talk about how she like where she came from they were trained to not have feelings and they just did what they were told and it was like a mindless existence but since being here she sees how beautiful it is to have feelings and she was always jealous of that so you could argue that's why she came back and like why she was okay of, with letting that part of her go so it's not like it was just like all of a sudden it was just different. There were like things that set up where Amron would talk about how she used to envy the high fae and the human for the lives that they led. And now she gets to be one of them. Yeah. So yeah, then they all go back to their courts and Feyre and Reese, you know, have their little life together in the night happily ever after and it's it's tied up so like if you want to end it here you can't you know nesta is in a bad place because of the guilt she feels over their father's death and they're all mourning him but she does it and you know her very 
I don't know, walled off way. Um, so you can definitely explore that more and you do, you explore that more, but I felt like it was also very neat ending if you want it to be a trilogy. Yes. It's a very good and like satisfying ending for Vera and her character who we've like gone on this journey with from book one. Yeah. Very, very cool character arc. I loved that journey. I loved how it's like stressed to be her own person and to rely on herself and that she was strong enough. I felt like that was a really good message. Yes, absolutely. So that's where it ends. That's where A Court of Wings and Ruins ends. The battle for Prithian is over. Highburn's eradicated. And they're all, you know, living their happy little lives. So, yay. Yeah, <laughs> and we did it so in good. under an hour and a half. I'm so impressed with us. <laughs> I am too. That's wild. And like we say every time, there is so much left out. Like, Okay, but so much. <laughs> I feel like we hit... I feel like we and hit we the very important parts. Yeah, we hit the very important parts. I felt like I was talking a mile a minute to get it in there because I felt like all the stuff we talked about was very important. But there's definitely so much that we didn't talk about that you can discover, yeah. and I hope you do discover if you read this on your own. You did a great job carrying this episode because, like I said, it's been a it's been a minute since I've read this. And thank you. I there were a few things I forgot. I had to it's put okay. it in reverse a few times, but we got there. <laughs> That's how this podcast is. You know, it's episode 61. We're never going to change. No, no. <laughs> this is how it is. <laughs> it's real life, man. Yeah. 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 So that That's also our wraps recap. up our May books, which is absolutely yeah. insane to me. It's bonkers. Like, I can't even, I'm not even sure where this year has gone. But no, so much has happened happened and it's like not even June. So yeah, I'm like bananas. excited and a little nervous about what the rest of this year is gonna bring for us. Right. Right. Yeah. But we're excited to dive in and change gears again for our June books. So yeah, sure. Very to... different picks. Yes, truly. <laughs> <laughs> So be sure to stay tuned and follow along with us for those. And you can find us on Instagram at Life and Lit Pod. That's where we post a lot of our book content, what books we're going to be covering, some of the extras that we read, and all sorts of good stuff. So be sure to follow us over there on Instagram. You can send us an email with suggestions at lifeandlitpod at gmail.com. And be sure to rate and review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And also shout out to our new Spotify followers because we've gotten like 20 something new followers in the last week. So we're super excited about that. So if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and then you will get the episodes downloaded straight to your device. And I think that's it for this week. Yeah. There's any other final thoughts. That's all, folks. Yes. Until next time, as always, happy reading. Happy reading.